0: wondering how are you with heights you know I think some are fine and I know for some heights are totally terrifying I was in college ministry early on in my career at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga and there was a young man in our ministry I think his name was Carl it's been a number of years but I'm pretty sure his name was Carl And Carl struggled somewhat socially, but there was this group of other guys in the ministry that just wrapped him up and just brought him into their group and cared about him and included him. And so we were on a retreat together, and one of the activities on this retreat was a blob. Have you ever been on a blob or seen a blob? I've got a picture, actually, of a blob just to help you understand. So this is the way a blob works. You have this giant blob of air, and a person sits out on the end of it, and another person who's up on a tower or some height jumps off and lands on the other end of the blob, and when they land, it sends the first person hurtling up through the air and down into the water. It is so much fun. (laughs) Highly recommend it if you get the chance to blob. But Carl and some of these guys climbed to the top of the tower, and Carl was so excited to do it, and then he, it became his turn, and he just totally locked up, He was frozen by the fear of heights. And those guys tried so hard. There was lots of efforts to convince him of how fun it was going to be and how safe it was. And he, they would watch as people would pass him by and say, see, look, it was great for them. It was safe, no problem. And so he would get closer and closer to the edge like if he was gonna go. And right as he would, oh, he just would back off again and the fear would be too much. And there would be more encouragement, more efforts to convince him. There was chanting, Carl, 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 right? But he was just paralyzed by fear. See, he wanted to have the fun that everyone else was having, but he just couldn't do it. And everybody was so encouraging to him, even after he climbed down the tower, but he was so disappointed. See, fear can hold us back from jumping in, from jumping into the blob or jumping into whatever it is that God would have for us to do, that he wants to do in our lives or through our lives. And so the question for us this morning is how can we overcome this fear? It's what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's the next message in our sermon series, Go and Serve Together, that we've been in for a little while. This sermon series comes to us particularly from John 20, verse 21, where Jesus said to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. That as Jesus' church, we are sent out into the world to continue the mission that he started to bring redemption and healing to all the things that sin has broken, to offer reconciliation with God, to bring everything into alignment and under the rule and the reign of our King Jesus. And so we've been looking at how we're sent with the Holy Spirit, really to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, wherever the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, and that we have that Holy Spirit within us present to us as a gift, but then he also shows himself through us by giving us gifts so that we can serve in effective ways. And he has united us as a body so that we can go and serve together in Jesus' name. But as we go, as we step out, this is where the fear starts to come up. Because when we are serious about submitting our wills, to God's will and what he wants to do, here's the thing. God's not predictable. And God's not necessarily safe. He's not in our control. And we may, in fact, get surprised by where he would have us go, who he would have us serve, or how he would have us serve. And so we can find ourselves in a situation we've never been in with the question before us, will we jump in? Or will we be held captive by our fear? And so let's, let's get into this this morning through Luke chapter 12. If you want, you can follow along on the screen as we hear God's word speaking to us this morning. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak to his disciples saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed Has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, Whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels, but whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this word together. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here in need of you to speak to us. We don't want to claim to be wise. We don't want to claim to be more than we are. And so we invite you to send your Holy Spirit That you would guide our thoughts, guide what we internalize, what becomes a part of us, so that it is only from you that you would shape us, that we would be formed by your Spirit from the inside out. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask all these things. Amen. So this passage comes, obviously, from the Gospel of Luke. And Luke wrote his gospel account primarily to a man named Theophilus. We're not exactly sure who he was. But Luke also was aware that it would go beyond Theophilus. And so it was also intended for Jesus' church. It came to the church in maybe the late 50s, early 60s AD. It was a time of persecution for the church. Persecution from the Roman Empire that had occupied this whole region. Persecution even from those Jewish people who would kick the Christians out of the temple at best or even, as Paul had hunted them down, would kill them at worst. And so in this context... Jesus wasn't just speaking these words to his disciples in that moment. Luke was capturing these words as something that he was going to give to the church in his day and to the church throughout history. To the church that particularly had very real reason to be afraid. And so it makes Jesus' statement perhaps even more startling. Because Jesus said, in verse 4, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, and after that can do no more. It's like, wait, what, Jesus? <laughs> All right, isn't it a natural and reasonable fear when facing this kind of persecution? And the answer is yes, it is. But Jesus wants to help us see that the fear we have day in and day out doesn't have to hold us captive. That was his big concern. And and as we start thinking, particularly in the context of our go-and-serve-together effort, that as we go out into the world, there are all sorts of fears that come up within us that keep us captive. Certainly the fear for our safety, as they had, that we recognize that the world is not always a safe place to be. Sometimes it's hostile. Sometimes, when we move into the places where there is sin and brokenness that is rampant, it becomes messy, it is not comfortable, it is not secure. We can get wrapped up also in a fear of failure. We're so success driven. We want to be able to accomplish something significant, something great, and we move into these places of brokenness and we don't necessarily know how to fix the problems. And so we feel inadequate. We feel insecure. We're trying to help and love and serve. We're trying an experiment, which is really what this go and serve is. But it doesn't work, maybe. And we start to fear, what if they ask me questions that I don't know the answer to? I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm not a pastor. I don't want to look foolish or incompetent. Besides, people may reject me, Cast me aside. Or maybe we just get afraid of things getting out of control, right? Not going the way we planned them or the way we want them to. And this can happen not just when we go. It actually can happen even in the process of planning and getting to what we might do. If you haven't been with us, you may not be aware that we do have groups of all ages meeting right now in the church weekly to discern the movement of the Holy Spirit. Where would the Holy Spirit have that group go and serve together? And and so in that process, there can be a ton of fear because maybe for you, it's the group wants to go this way, but I want to go that way. I'm not comfortable going there, but they want to do it. And so we have this fear that comes up inside of us, this fear of being out of control. I mean, at the end of the day, we can be afraid of loss, right? Loss of face, loss of reputation, loss of comfort, loss of security, loss of control, whatever it is. And the thing is, fear is natural, isn't it? At least as an emotion, fear is natural. It's part of how God has made us. It's a defense mechanism that he's given us for our survival. Right? like if, if I was right here face-to-face with a cheetah, I promise you I would be afraid. And that's God's way of helping me have this heightened sense of awareness so that I can run. Now, I probably won't be able to outrun the cheetah, but hopefully I'll be able to outrun one of you. So, that, that's not nice. Sorry. But though fear is natural, God doesn't want us to be controlled by fear. The problem isn't having fear. The problem is allowing fear to control how we'll live and cause us to pull back when it causes us to pull back from what the Holy Spirit would have us do, where he would have us go. So how do we overcome fear? How do we get beyond it? Especially in a world that, where fear is fomented, right? That, that people are using fear in our lives constantly as a way to try to maintain control or power, shifting our behavior or our alliances. So how do we overcome fear? And there's lots of advice and there's lots of ways that we try to overcome fear. I mean, certainly we can just encourage each other to be brave, right? Like, muster up that courage, We raise it up as a virtue. We celebrate it when we see it. But in other words, we're really just saying, hey, suck it up and move move through the fear. Just just go. And, And it is true that the more we do push through the fear and don't let it hold us captive and trapped, the more we get used to moving through the discomfort of it, the more we get used to not being paralyzed by it. But what if we're already there? What if the paralysis has already set in? we may just conclude that, well, I just am not brave. That's just it. And maybe there are some people who are brave and there's some people who are not, and so there's some people who don't have to be controlled by fear, and there's some people who do have to be. And because of this, maybe you just run. Maybe that's how you overcome fear. It's like change the environment, give up on the situation. No, I'm not afraid anymore, it's because I took off. I'm not there anymore. And so we tell ourselves all sorts of things try to tell ourselves it doesn't matter what they think, (laughs) and we know this in our heads that it shouldn't matter what they think, and yet, something about our hearts aren't convinced by what our head thinks, and so their opinion actually holds a lot more control over us, and the fear of being rejected, of not being accepted, can influence all sorts of behaviors in our lives. And so we try to gain power over the fear. And so we, we maybe try to learn new skills, learn like skill, social skills of just how to learn to interact and talk with people or self-defense courses or financial management and investing courses. Maybe we band together to try to have strength in number, numbers. And the thing is, in our efforts to overcome fear in our lives, I think we can, we can eventually become very angry. And actually, anger becomes a substitute for courage. And so we get, the more we get angry about our helplessness in our fear, the more we are tempted to resort to violence. And I, see, I think we're seeing this constantly in our culture and in the world. It's not necessarily courage, but it's anger to try to overcome that which we're afraid. And we're doing that with violence, if that's what it takes. For others, we try to reason our way through it. There's nothing to be afraid of. And yes, we should speak the truth to irrational fear, but man, there are real risks with living life, aren't there? So that tactic to tell ourselves there's nothing to be afraid of doesn't always work. And, And for us in a church, it's really tempting to try to use religion as the means to overcome our fear. right? That we try to tell ourselves that we're good and obedient, that we're righteous people, so God wouldn't let anything that bad happen to us, would he? Well, I mean, the reality is that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 reminds us that there are incredible heroes of faith throughout history that faced, I mean, intense trial and yet overcame. God delivered them. But near the end of that chapter, if you don't keep reading, read all the way to the end because near the end, the writer also tells us about those who were not spared the worst and still held on to their faith says, there were those who were tortured, who were flogged, were chained and imprisoned, those who were sawed to, stoned to death, killed by the sword, destitute, persecuted and mistreated, and yet held on to the faith. See, Jesus doesn't offer any of these kind of normal solutions or strategies to overcome fear. I and mean, you may have used these or others. Instead, Jesus says, don't fear these things, instead... Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. That's how he says to get overcome our day-to-day fears. Why would he say that? I think we need to understand what he is saying before we can understand why he would say that. What Jesus is talking about is God's judgment. He's talking about the time at the end of history when God will right every wrong, where God will take action against every word. There will be just punishment for every thought, every deed, everything that has ever happened. And the reality is we need a God like that. We need a God who will judge what is wrong in the world or those who are being violated and oppressed have no real hope. There has to be a God who sees wrong and will do something about it or there isn't really any wrong in the first place. But because God is just, Jesus says at that time, some will be thrown into hell. The word he uses for hell is actually Gehenna. And Gehenna was literally a valley that was outside of Jerusalem. It was a valley where there was a fire always burning. Because it was the valley where trash was taken to be burned. It's where dead animal bodies and criminal bodies were taken to be burned and disposed of. So it was the place of perpetual fire. And Jesus is using this as a metaphor. An image of what eternity will be like for some. The reality of the pictures of hell that we have in the Bible is that they're not necessarily intended to be a description of a physical reality. They might be, but what we know for sure is that they're images to try to help us grasp with our finite mind how terrible and awful hell really is, that it's a state of perpetual weeping and gnashing of teeth, of excruciating anger, of fire, of torture, a place of utter darkness where there is no love because it is always apart from God who himself is love. This is hell. And Jesus is saying, fear the one who has the authority to send you to hell because hell is worth fearing. It's a healthy fear. It's like the fear of getting hit by a car so you don't run into traffic. It's the fear of that cheetah. This healthy fear of hell is crucial to what Jesus is saying about overcoming the fear we live with day in and day out. But I want to acknowledge that many, many throughout our history have tried to eliminate this idea of hell because we just don't like it. And I get it. I don't really like it either. But rather than get rid of it, Jesus is pointing to it as a warning, as a necessary and healthy fear so that the rest of our lives can be transformed. And he's saying in this passage that the fear of hell is a healthy fear for all of us because on the day of judgment, we will find that we each and every one of us are deserving of hell. On that day, Jesus said in this passage, there's nothing that is concealed that will not be disclosed, nothing that was hidden that won't be brought out into the open, nothing that you've done, you've thought, you've said in the dark will not be brought into the light. And so on that day, everything we have ever done, thought, said, whether there was anyone else there to witness it or not, will be brought before God, the judge. And because God is going to judge all that is wrong in the world, including me, that means I'm deserving as well. Right? I, I don't know about you. There's things in my life that I would not want you to know about. There's thoughts that I've had that are ugly, there's things that I've done. So I wouldn't want you to know about them, let alone have them be brought before a holy and perfect and just and almighty God. If you've ever had the experience growing up like I did, the one where you've done something wrong and you're told, wait till your dad gets home, right? and then dad gets home, and that's when the punishment comes down. See, this is the kind of fear Jesus is talking about. Fear dad who has the authority with his just punishment to send you to hell. But why does Jesus want us to have to deal with this fear? Why does he want us to fear the one who can throw us into hell? I think it's because the fear of lesser things, or, or the fear of greater things, sorry, will drive out our fear of lesser things. Right? The logic for Carl was this, that we hope that the fear of missing out would be greater than his fear of heights. We may be afraid of rejection, but our fear of not being able to pay the bills and put food on the table will cause us, will be greater, so we'll go to the interview. And we may be afraid for our safety, but if our children are running in traffic, we will throw caution to the wind because we're more afraid of losing them, right? The fear of greater things drives out the fear of lesser things and changes the way that we behave. And so Jesus is saying to have a healthy fear of hell so that it will overcome your lesser fears that you live with day in and day out. But I don't know if we have a healthy fear of hell. And if we don't, it may be because we don't actually have a real appreciation for how bad sin really is. Because I think we've come to a place, societally, where there are sins that we consider kind of socially acceptable. Everybody's doing them. It's just kind of the way we are. We say, yeah, we're works in progress, which is just another way to say, I'm not really trying anymore. I'm not really trying to stop the lies. I mean, and they're just little lies anyway. Not trying to stop the gossip. Yeah, I know it's somebody else's story, but man, it it helps me feel accepted by this group of people. We're not trying to stop the greed. That's just the American way. We're not trying to stop looking at porn. We're not trying to stop drinking. We're just doing it on our own. It's not hurting anybody else. We're not trying to stop the self-centered living because if I don't look out for me, no one will. We're not trying to stop being self-righteous and judgmental. See, there's so much sin that we have just made this social contract with, I mean, everybody kind of does it, so, you know, that's just the way it is. And if that's how we approach sin, then we will not have a healthy fear of hell. We've diminished what it's doing to our souls, what it's doing to our relationship with the holy God who wants a relationship with us, but his perfection, his justice, his purity, and his holiness will not allow it. If we don't fear, then we don't probably appreciate how bad our sin is, how holy and just our God is, or how awful hell will really be. And yet, even as Jesus is saying, hey, fear the one who has this authority, he's also saying that the one who has this authority is also the one who sees you, who knows you, who values you, and who loves you. He said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. He knows every detail about you and about your life the good and the bad, and yet he then adds to that that you are worth more, you are more valuable to him than many sparrows. In other words, he sees it all and he still values you. So yes, fear the one who has the authority to throw you into hell, but know that that fear doesn't have to overwhelm you, the fear of hell, because he is also the one who loves you and cares for you more than you can really imagine. The great reformer Martin Luther in 1530 wrote a letter to a friend of his named Jerome Weller. And Jerome was in a season of intense depression. He was doubting his salvation, his relationship with God, and he was starting to feel overwhelmed and overcome with the prospects of being sent to hell. And so Luther wrote to him, trying to reassure him. He says, When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean I shall be sentenced to eternal condemnation? By no means. For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. Luther was telling his friend, I think, just as he's telling us, that yes, fear the one who has the authority to justly condemn us, and yet instead of condemning us to hell, he sent his son to take our fear, to take our punishment, that we would be raised from hell and death to life itself. See, this is why Jesus came. This is what he came to accomplish. Did you know that Jesus was afraid too? That we can see it. The night before Jesus was crucified, he was in the garden and he was praying, he was pleading to the Father. If there's any other way to do this, Let's do it that way. Take this from me because he knew the agony that he would face. He knew the brutality. He knew the suffering. He knew that he was going to be separated from the Father on our behalf. And so he was sweating drops of blood. The anguish of the fear that he was carrying. A justified fear because he knew what was coming. And yet, Jesus continued to move through the fear in ways that we so often are not able to move through our own fear. He goes to the cross. He takes our fear. He loses control. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's rejected. He ultimately dies so that our fear and our sin and the just punishment that God should place upon us, instead He put upon His Son. See, the more we understand the gravity of hell, the more we understand what Jesus has actually done for us, and then we can understand how loved we really are. Because that's how much God loved you, that he sent his son to endure that for you and for me. But when we're controlled by our fears, it just shows that we are still We're still relying on ourselves. We're still trusting in ourselves to give us the life that we want, to have the security and the control rather than trusting that the God who would give his son for us is the one who is trustworthy with every moment of our lives, that his acceptance is greater than any of the acceptance in the world, that his acceptance can never be taken from us because it's been purchased at the cost of his son when we're afraid, even holding so clinging to our physical life, it's just demonstrating that we haven't fully trusted the the God who gave his own son to the point of death and had a greater plan, has a greater plan even for us. If we even die. See, But as we lean in, we trust that this is how much God loves us then the fear of all these things that hold us captive, that keep us back, no longer have to consume us. If we fear hell, it will dwarf the fears that we carry day in and day out, but if we remember that we don't even have to fear hell itself because we are loved by God, then we can be free. We can overcome all fears. We can have a certainty and a confidence that allows us to go anywhere to do anything that God would lead us to do because we have nothing left to fear. Many of you know that I grew up in Colorado, just west of Denver in the mountains. And so we would take I-70 every time we would go into the Denver metro area. And as you're coming you know, right on the edge of Denver, up on the north side of I-70, there is a huge statue, 20 foot t- 22 foot tall statue of Jesus on top of an 11 foot you know, platform. So Jesus kind of overlooking the whole Denver area. And I remember seeing it as a kid and even going and visiting it and climbing the, I didn't know at the time, but over 370 stairs to get to the base of this statue. And all I really knew was that it was called the Mother Cabrini Shrine. And it was named after a woman named Francesca Cabrini, who had been born in Italy. She was born premature, and so she struggled with health actually throughout her entire life. And when she was seven years old, she had a near-death experience. She almost drowned. And it was so overwhelming that she carried this deep fear of water for the rest of her life. But as she grew up, she also longed to go to the missionary field to serve. But because of her frail health, she was denied She wasn't allowed to go, and so she actually started her own religious order called the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and she just began serving because that's what God made her to do, and after a while, she was noticed by Pope Leo XIII, and in consultation with him, she hoped that he would send her to China, where she could travel from Italy inland and across land and, and arrive in China and serve, but his word to her was not to the east, but to the west. Because he had discerned, as she had also discerned, that her calling was actually to America. And so in 1889, she boarded a ship to cross the Atlantic. With all of the fear of the years and years upon her, the very real fears for her life and her safety, And as they traveled in second class, she wrote in her journals about the rough seas, the constant seasickness. She wrote of her fear and of this 12-day trip with this deadly storm that was beating the ship day after day. But she also wrote about those in the third class who had it lesser than she did. They said that the accommodations were nothing better than a stable. And she spent the 12 days serving those on the ship who were suffering greater than she was. She arrived in America, and she then began this mission, establishing hospitals and schools and providing spiritual guidance, especially among the impoverished throughout North America. And eventually she was asked to go to South America and other places in the world. And eventually, ultimately, having to get back on a ship and cross the Atlantic 27 times in her ministry, each time facing that great fear of water, but continuing because she knew the God who loved her and had sent her to serve. She knew the fear of God. It made the fear of water seem relatively small. She knew that this God loved her enough that he sent his son to save her from the clutches of sin and hell, and he trusted her no matter where he would send her. Friends, we have to address our fear so we don't get trapped, but instead we'll jump in on the adventure that God would send us on, going and serving whoever he would have us serve, wherever he would have us serve, however he would have us serve, because there is a broken and hurting world that needs us to overcome that fear so that we can go and serve them with the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can be honest with you, that in our lives, we do see fear, some of it natural and part of your, your plan, and some of it that we are holding on to, to fears that are holding us back. Lord, help us. Help us to overcome that fear. Help us to have a greater and greater sense of our sin. Have a healthy fear of the just punishment of hell. Help us to see that more clearly so that we can understand what it is that Jesus really came and took for us so that we can understand how loved we really are, that we can trust you more and more day in and day out, that we would go and serve however and wherever you would lead us, that we have nothing to fear, because you are God and we are yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray.